Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Thursday, February the 6th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, signing a running back to significant money, worthwhile or worthless? I'll debate myself on the topic and tell you what Melvin Gordon could bring if the Dolphins head in that direction, plus a first look at Miami's 2020 opponents and your questions on the Twitter mailbag, all of that and more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL, voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. And of course, the show at Locked On Fins will follow you back and lockedondolphins.com. We have a piece recapping the Super Bowl from somebody who was there, our own staff writer, Chris Kowalowski. And with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. That's I want to start the podcast today before we get into any specific player by discussing a running back's value. And there are two sides to the running back coin, and I think it's something like politics in this regard. Some people are going to park their car on the far left of that spectrum. Some will park it on the far right. But for me, I tend to be moderate with a slight lean towards either direction dependent on the individual issue at hand. And when it comes to the running back analytics slash film division, I lean a little bit towards analytics and the rally cry that running backs simply just do not matter in the National Football League. I think the greatest example of this was the stat that I shared, and I forget the source and the exact stat, so my apologies for that. But after the Titans win in New England in the playoffs, the game where Derrick Henry had something like 186 yards and Tannehill only threw for 65 yards in his own right, or whatever it was, that Tannehill still despite far fewer throws than Henry had runs, had a higher win probability added metric in terms of his overall impact on the game. That's just the difference between quarterbacks and running backs. It wasn't a pro Tannehill thing. It was more of an anti running back thing. And I think there is some legitimate merit to that stat. But I also think there are a lot of things that numbers can't find. Yes, I believe in using analytics for all in-game situation and always always adhering to them no matter what. It's like poker. You take the best odds always and you deal with the consequences later. Because again, good process will always be preferable to good results. Good process equals predictability. Results are just the outcome of a roll of the dice. Football is the ultimate randomized game. But what analytics don't account for is how the defense reacts to a player's presence on the field. They don't account for a back that you can trust to work inside out in pass protection, a guy that can read the front, apply the protection, and find his man, and give your quarterback that vital sixth piece in the pass protection lineup. They don't exactly account for a back's ability to flex out and give you personnel diversity within the same lineup, going from 11 personnel to 12 personnel or to 01, whatever it might be. A player that can play multiple roles gives you that flexibility and diversity within the personnel groups. And with regards to the cost of a running back, I actually think it makes more sense to spend the free agent cash on a back. And this is Dolphin specific as it always is, because frankly, they have unlimited resources this offseason. Consider that Miami could sign Melvin Gordon to a $10 million annual deal and still have the most cap space in all of football. 
but we all agree that the Dolphins need a running back, right? Probably even two. I've seen a lot of mentions on Twitter that suggest, just draft a back in the middle rounds. Plenty of studs to find there. I mean, really? Is it just that easy? I know Miami have had quite a bit of success with this in the past, and several teams do. I'm not saying you can't find backs at that stage of the draft, but plenty of teams also don't. It reminds me of the argument, you don't have to take a quarterback in the first round because Russell Wilson and Tom Brady both won Super Bowl rings as third and sixth round picks respectively, but those folks don't account for all the quarterbacks drafted in rounds three, four, five, and six that didn't work out because there's way more of those than there are quarterbacks that did work out. I mean, this team, Daniel Thomas, Kalen Balaj, they were supposed to be middle round studs. It's hardly an automatic thing. Melvin Gordon's automatic, and it protects you from using a premium resource via that first round draft pick if you want DeAndre Swift or maybe even J.K. Dobbins or one of those second round picks like Jonathan Taylor. You know what those picks are going to cost you? Pick 18 from 2019 makes about $3 million per year annual basis for the next four years. You have that signing bonus in there, which inflates things, but on an annual basis, you're paying the 18th draft pick about $3 bucks per year. Pick 26 is like half of that, like $1.5 million. Second round picks make less than a $1 million per year on their contracts in their rookie deals. So you save, let's call it $9 million per year on Gordon in order to focus your free agent dollars on more prominent positions because you have a philosophical shift or a philosophical belief in your mind that you can't ever purchase a running back on the free agent market. Well, congratulations because now you're paying Jadavion Clowney literally double that amount. But if you draft Caleb Von Chase on instead, you pay him $3 million bucks per season instead of giving Clowney 20 million dollars per season there's a 17 million dollars per year savings right there and still you have seven million dollars savings after you've signed gordon for 10 million bucks so you can get gordon and caleb on chase on for almost half the cost of what it would cost you to sign jadavian Clowney. and you get to keep that 26th or 39th pick or whatever it is where you're going to spend on jk dobbins or deandre swift So that's my argument to the crowd that replied to my tweet by just saying, pass. There's way more to it than that. Every situation is unique. But what about Melvin Gordon, the player, the football player on the field? Melvin Gordon at Wisconsin played under Andy Ludwig, who was very prominent in his use of jet sweep. He used fullback. He used an H-back to come across the formation and split zone. They used stretch zone, wide zone, a bend-bang scheme. Melvin Gordon has played in every single running scheme there pretty much is to man. And that's what Shan Gailey wants to do with his offenses. He did it in Buffalo. He did it in New York. He's going to do it in Miami. The Chargers use some man-gap scheme, but also use that bang-bend scheme when they had Danny Woodhead working in behind Melvin Gordon. He's also, Melvin Gordon, an elite pass catcher out of the backfield and can really pass protect well, like I mentioned in the earlier segment. I sent out a bunch of tweets about Gordon's on-field prowess. He's only reached four yards per carry one time in 2018 when he had 1,375 yards from scrimmage and 14 touchdowns in 12 games. His big breakout year, which led to him holding out this past season, he's 27 in April, and he only had 429 touches the last two seasons combined so he's fresh he's rested will be ready to go next season and when you look at the advanced metrics of his stats opposed to the volume stats he ranks across the top of the league in so many metrics like true yards per carry yards per target the big run percentage big run rate evaded tackles juke rate all of those are top 10 He was number three in yards created per carry, which is basically yards after contact. And he did this behind an offensive line that, according to playerprofile.com, provided Melvin Gordon with the 31st most efficient run blocking grade last season and 35th two seasons ago when he had that monster breakout year. 
He's a guy that never leaves the field when he's healthy and in the game plan. He's going to give you 75% of the game day reps, so you're going to get your money's worth in terms of his usage, catching the football, running the football, helping out in pass protection. This guy, if you want to go ahead and fix that running game and create a scheme that can be adaptable week to week, Melvin Gordon is your guy, and you might be able to get him on a contract for right around 9-10 million bucks per year, and at that rate, because of what happened to him last season with the holdout, you can probably get him for four years, $36 million, with club options in year three and four, where you can get out of that contract after a year or two and basically say goodbye to him once he reaches age 30. You do that, you draft a running back in the third, fourth, fifth round, whatever it might be. To me, you have those two guys, Miles Gaskin, you have plenty more free agent cap space, and you didn't spend a top one of your top five or six picks on a tailback. It makes a bunch of sense to me to go after a guy like Melvin Gordon because, again, adaptable in the scheme, he can do all three phases of the game, play all three downs, and he really doesn't cost you that much in terms of the overall percentage of cap. And back to the analytics argument, one thing that I learned from the Warren Sharp preview magazines, and he too is anti-back, but he also admits the best way to convert short yardage is to run the football. And so I believe strongly in second, third, and short situations, running the ball, moving the chains, or running the football inside the five-yard line because your conversion rate's much higher right there. Gordon pretty much ranks higher than league average across the board, whether it's converting short yardage first downs, inside the five-yard line touchdowns on goal-to-go runs. This guy runs hard. He creates yards. He scores touchdowns. He moves the sticks. He would change the Dolphins' offense the minute you sign him. All right, we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast here and talk about the opponents on Miami's 2020 schedule. Get your Twitter questions as well, and I'll show you what a Melvin Gordon offseason might look like. All of that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. There is some buzz formulating in Indianapolis that possibly left tackle Anthony Costanzo, who is set to hit free agency this offseason, could retire from football, and he was never probably going to get out of Indianapolis and onto the open market for the Dolphins to have a chance to bid for his services, but I do think that puts the Colts smack dab in the race for a left tackle. This is a team that probably was going to stay away from the tackle position with Braden Smith and Anthony Costanzo in tow there in their lineup, but now if Costanzo is gone, they all of a sudden have a huge hole at left tackle and picking 13th that puts them right in the teeth of that Andrew Thomas, Makai Becton, maybe even Tristan Wirfs range that could go after one of those top four tackles that we hope one of those guys slides to Miami at pick number 18. So that could be a bad domino here for the Dolphins if Anthony Costanzo does retire. I want to talk about what a Melvin Gordon offseason could look like because again, we all have the idea and every single mock draft out there has the Dolphins taking a running back Pretty much in the first round, I've seen DeAndre Swift in almost every mock, and if not him, it was J.K. Dobbins. So you remove that pick from the tailback position, and what else can you get? Because I'm talking about building up the running game to complement a passing game that was damn good last year down the stretch, top half of the league, despite the fact that they had zero running game. So I want to add the running game to Ryan Fitzpatrick next year and then Tua Tungavailoa in the future. So if you sign Melvin Gordon, we've already talked about the idea of signing Kyle Van Noy. I think Logan Ryan makes a lot of sense. Maybe you go out and find a veteran that was cut at left tackle like Trent Williams or someone equivalent to Trent Williams. You make another low-level signing like a George Fant on your 
offensive line. Then you come back with Tua at pick number five. Maybe you do get Andrew Thomas at pick number 18. Maybe you go after Lloyd Cushenberry, the center, at pick 26. And all of a sudden, you've got your offensive line straightened out, your running back straightened out, your quarterback straightened out, and your offense is essentially ready to go for 2020 and beyond after your first three picks in the draft. And then we go after Antoine Winfield and Ashton Davis and Bradley Anai and Khalid Kareem and Jason Strobridge with the next few picks in those second and third rounds. There's your defense. You put more money on the defense and free agency as well. Boom, this team can compete next season. But in order to do that, they're going to have to beat some good teams because this Dolphins 2020 schedule looks pretty tough. I want to give a rundown over all 13 of the opponents on the schedule. And we start with the divisional foes and with the New York Jets, Adam Gase. Do I need to say more than that? But in all seriousness, we keep hearing about how great Sam Darnold is, but when is he actually going to, I don't know, play good football? He's had some good runs here and there, but for the most part, he's been a substandard quarterback there for the Jets, and his development should get stunted even more once Adam Gaze is done with that team. This is a team I think the Dolphins can and should sweep next year. Hell, they should have done it this year if it wasn't for the officials blowing that call on Nick Needham, but then again, that call basically gets us to us, so I guess thank you Zebras. So Jets, not very high on them. The Bills, I think are low-key going to be a thorn in our side for a few years. They always have been, but they're even better now. Josh Allen has his warts, but he sure as hell isn't fun to defend against. He rushes for a boatload of yards every single time we play them. The offensive line is damn good. Devin Singletary's damn good. And that defense is better than all those aforementioned parts. To me, they are the AFC East favorites next year. If you can get one win against that team, I'd be happy with that. The Patriots... And man, I think the end is near here. The team at the end of the season reminded me of that team they had from the end of the uh, 2009 season, the last time they also were bounced in the wild card round. This time, they don't have a spry young Tom Brady and Bill Belichick 10 years earlier ready for another decade of dominance. It's not likely they'll find another dynamic tight end duo like Rob Gronkowski and that Aaron Hernandez fella, and if they pay Tom Brady, by all accounts, a very average quarterback last season, if they pay him $30 million, that doesn't exactly give them much leeway to stock up on the rest of this roster, who Patriots fans have told me was a depleted roster, and that's the reason Miami beat them in Week 17, which is hilarious. This team doesn't scare me anymore. New England, you are the furnace in the basement, and I am a more confident Kevin McAllister halfway through the movie. So that's how I feel about the New England Patriots. How about the non-divisional teams? Let's go ahead and start with the home slate and the Los Angeles Chargers. Could be a team in rebuild phase, possibly Tyrod Taylor and a rookie quarterback like Justin Herbert, and they've always struggled in Miami. That's a defense that could get back to being very good this year with a full season of Derwin James, and hopefully, you hope, that's a 1 o'clock kickoff putting the Chargers on that 10 a.m. body clock. The Chiefs, let's just go ahead and call that a loss. We aren't ready for the Mahomes smoke, not yet anyway. The Bengals, Zach Taylor comes back home and brings that excuse of a football operation with him. Joe Burrow would scare me if he was with anybody else besides Zach Taylor. There are some nice pieces there, but the Bengals just don't operate in the same manner as the rest of the league, and they're going to remain a joke until Mike Brown's gone. I will never be scared of that football team ever. The Seahawks, Russell is tough every single year. They are a different outfit on the road. They can struggle, especially out east. We'll see if they finally open up the offense and con- or if they continue to play the same style. You have to bring the hammer to deal with that run game and Chris Carson, though, and Rashad Penny. And I wouldn't bet against Russell. That's a tough, tough game. I think Seattle gets that one. 
next season. The Rams, I think they'll bounce back from an 8-8 eight and eight year this year. I'm still not a big Jared Goff believer, and McVay's quick sheet offense got figured out in the NFL the last two seasons. It reminded me of the Huskies putting a stop to Mike Leach's same 10 plays that he runs over and over again. I trust Flores to outcoach McVay because, well, he did it already in the Super Bowl. The road games, Denver, that is a tough, tough place to play, especially early in the year when teams aren't in the best condition and they have to deal with the altitude change. There is some Vegas stat out there about Denver covering spreads the first two weeks of the season in Denver. It's astronomical, but Drew Locke is their quarterback and he does not scare me at all. Jacksonville, Minshew mania could get anyone at any time. But that's a rebuild operation that maybe just doesn't realize it yet. But the Jags are a bad, bad football team. That's going to be a Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes team next season. So that should be a dub. The 49ers, they're elite. That's a buzzsaw. The Cardinals, athletic quarterbacks tend to kill us. And Kyler is the most athletic of all, sans Lamar Jackson. I think the Cardinals make a big jump next year. And it's sparked by the big jump from their quarterback. Obviously, we have the whole offseason to go, but I still believe the biggest changes come from coaching improvements and in-house development, and that's where I'm bullish on teams like Arizona and Buffalo and bearish on teams like the Jets and the Bengals. Okay, I put a call out on Twitter late on Wednesday afternoon asking for your questions, and I have 112 in here, and I want to get to as many as we can, so we'll start that on today's podcast. This first one here from Mark Clifford, at mclifford36. What is the most logical need Miami will fill in free agency as opposed to the draft? Well, look, I talked about it in the open. The running back position, because of the lack of money you have to pay there compared to what you pay in the draft, and not using that viable or that valuable, rather, draft resource on the tailback position. I also feel like free agency is a good opportunity to look at safeties. That's another position group that does not get paid that well. So if you go after a running back or a safety in free agency, the most you might wind up paying is eight, nine, ten million million per year. If you go after the best tackle or cornerback or pass rusher in free agency, you're going to wind up paying $18, $19, 20000000 million. So I'm all about being cost effective or being risk adverse in that way. So I think tailback and safety might be the best way to go there. But that said, my favorite player in the entire draft, Antoine Winfield, is in fact a safety. So you could do both. Next question here from Jesse Bacatus at Finn Reaper. There are a ton of fans that argue that we should skip on drafting a quarterback until the line is fixed. Can you briefly explain why the Dolphins can do both and give a possible scenario or two? Well, yeah. You never put the cart before the horse, and the quarterback's the most important person in any organization. I don't know how anybody could argue against that because there are there's a mountain of evidence that suggests that. Just go back to the Super Bowl in that fourth quarter when Pat Mahomes decided to stop playing like crap and took the game over. So the Dolphins right now, and I keep saying this, like I keep getting this pushback about the running back position or build the offensive line before you get to a... The Dolphins have unlimited resources, guys. They can do whatever they want. They can sign five, six, seven marquee free agents and still have money left over. They can draft eight top 100 players and have those guys in camp next year ready to compete for starting jobs. They've talked about signing or acquiring rather four starting caliber offensive linemen. And that's not going to be that difficult to do with those top three picks in the top 26 or the top six picks in the top 70 and the free agent money with guys like Joe Tooney, Brandon Scherf, Graham Glasgow, all the options available to them. They're going to be just fine in doing that. So you can use that fifth pick on Tua. You can sign two linemen. You can draft one later 
Whatever you want to do, the Dolphins have everything in front of them and their options are endless. Next question here from Dave Camfield at Dave Camfield. Any chance we trade down either of our 18 or 26 picks for more draft picks? Absolutely. And that's going to be what Chris Greer wants to do going forward, accumulating more draft picks as the years go along. They want to have double digit draft picks every single year. And this year makes sense to me because I think in the future, this team will really, really be concerned about their compensatory picks like they were last season with Jawan James and Cam Wake and even Frank Gore to a lesser extent. But I think that this year, they're not going to care so much about that because they plan to be spenders in free agency at least enough to offset any potential losses. Plus, who the hell are they going to lose that brings them back a comp pick? So this year, you don't worry about comp picks. You just go out and sign guys. And so in order to restock your draft cupboard next season, you're going to have to trade down in the draft. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Trade down a few spots, pick up extra draft capital next year because next year's draft is going to be so loaded with underclassmen talent. It's ridiculous. So 100% can see them trading down at any point in the draft except probably number five. Next one here from DolphinsFan82. He's at DolphinsFan82. With the draft still far away, are you at all excited or intrigued by the XFL starting this weekend? And will you watch any of the games? It'll be like the AAF where I basically only watched it if I was sitting on my couch with nothing to do. But that said, I've had the last couple of weekends, like last Saturday or the Saturday prior to that when there was no football at all. And I told my wife like, man, this life sucks when football's not on. I'm sure she loves it. But when you're sitting there with nothing to do, you would like to have football on to watch. And so I'll flip that on and watch the XFL that way. But for the most part, no, I really don't care. I guess I'll root for the Seattle Dragons, but no, I I really don't care. Okay, let's go ahead and take our last break and come back and get to more of your questions here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. And if you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Dolphins is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Dolphins fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. And not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Dolphins fans and a predominantly male audience that's well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Dolphins podcast. Local fans love to support local business. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. Go ahead and jump now right back into your questions on the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond with your questions. We get to as many as we can. We're going to do a bunch of mailbag questions on tomorrow's podcast. And let's jump right back in here with a question from Justin Oldfield at JDOFSU. Your most recent take of the Finns passing on Tooney if he commands top dollar. What is your alternative or preferred path to rebuilding this offensive line? Well, there's several options like you mentioned. We have all those draft picks, all these top offensive linemen, particularly at tackle, but the interior offensive line group has really improved, I think, in the postseason draft process, and I think that will continue into the combine and such. And I think the way you look at this 
is you do have to get a veteran somewhere. Like whether it's Trent Williams or Joe Tooney or, you know, Brandon Scherf scares the crap out of me because he's missed so many games and missed so much time. I like the idea of Graham Glasgow from Detroit. We know that Matt Patricia and Brian Flores have that relationship and get a fair scouting report on Glasgow that way. But I also like the idea of going after a center high in the draft. We talked about this previously back when we thought Creed Humphrey might be an option, but of course he returned. I think Lloyd Cushenberry, the LSU center, has basically taken over that top spot and could find his way into the back of the first round, pick number 26 for Miami. So I love the idea of doing that and then coming back like in the fourth round or maybe third round and picking up Cushenberry's teammate, right guard Damian Lewis, because those two guys have played so well together and understand how each other ticks and then maybe you develop a left guard like Michael Dieter or you hope that Evan Bain can work out there or someone a low level free agent signing you put in place there then all of a sudden you have some low investments there maybe you got Trent Williams for a big contract if Washington releases him you still have Jesse Davis at right tackle there's just so many options I think Miami's going to be fine but they're going to have to pick the right one because you get it wrong and then all of a sudden we have the same issues we had for so many years. Next one here from Will at Will Reeves underscore. If you were a Dolphins coach, what position would you like to coach? What position do you think you are best qualified to coach? Well, first off, I'm not qualified to coach anything because one, I've never coached before. Two, I'm mostly self-taught from learning stuff online from other experts in the fields. But if I had my choice, I would say quarterback because I, I understand like body mechanics very well from all my time playing basketball and baseball growing up. I was a varsity athlete on baseball and basketball for three years each. So I lettered six times in high school. I know I can throw a football over the mountains. I'm bragging about that. But I just, I was always such a natural player because all I wanted to do when I was a kid was play sports. So I would get home from school and go throw the ball up in the air to myself over and over again, or go outside at nighttime in December and shoot some hoops on my basketball hoop out front. Like all I ever did was play sports. So I kind of have that natural pliability and I understand the mechanics of sports very well. And I always excelled in the mental aspect of games in terms of like playing point guard, for instance, I always knew what the offense was designed to do, how it moved the defense and how to attack that. So I think with some study and time put in, I could develop the mind of a quarterback that way too and excel in that regard. So I'll go with quarterbacks, but again, nowhere near qualified to do that. Next question here from David Ingleson at David underscore Ingleson. If the Dolphins do not have to trade up to get Tua and they have conviction on another player, would they trade up to get him? I don't think they would because that's going to cost you premium resources and this team needs those resources. So when it comes to trading up that high in the draft, that's when you start talking about additional first round draft picks and second round draft picks and future ones and twos. And I don't see Miami being any interested in doing that this year. That's more of an all in. Let's go in a championship move. And Miami knows they're not there yet. So I don't think so. But maybe in rounds two, three, and even four, one of my favorite ideas of this draft is packaging all those fifth and sixth round picks that we seem to have coming out of our ears at this point, using those picks to get back into round four, where to me, there's kind of a drop off right around like 125, because there's a bunch of players I like in that top 125. But in that fifth round, it starts to get scarce. And you're pretty much left with running backs and receivers to look at. I would like to use those picks to get back up and give myself more high quality chances at finding starters in that fourth round. Next question here from Zach Carey at Zach Attack 1110. When are you going to tell us you're moving to South Florida? Uh, I should have an update on that soon, Zach. I'm sorry I don't have it for you right now, but yeah, hopefully soon. Okay, let's do one more here from Burchisi at Burchisi. He just finished up reading a book called Shula, the coach of the NFL's greatest generation. And he asks if there are any other Dolphins-related bo- Dolphins books that fans should check out. 
If you have any of those, send them to me on Twitter. I want to go ahead and get Burchisi hooked up here with some Dolphins-related content. Personally, off the top of my head, I don't have any right now, but I want to help you out and help all Dolphins fans get more content on this football team. So if you know of any Dolphins-related books, send them my way, and I'll retweet at Burchisi so you can check it out on my timeline. Okay, if I didn't get to your question today, come back for tomorrow's podcast. I'm going to go long and extend the podcast and get to all of those if I can. There was 112 in there, so we're going to go speed round and get to as many questions as we can. I want to answer everybody's question because I'll have an announcement on tomorrow's podcast for you guys. Definitely want to check that out. Some big things happening. I'll let you know about that on tomorrow's show. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Friday edition, a special edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.